if you don't invest in your strong players, right, you, you will end up at the same place. And so you need to understand that maybe you take a fraction of what you're doing now and say, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, see what uh, Jumpstart is up to. You don't have to be crazy like like me and set up your own fund. You don't have to go millions of dollars in. See you know seek out opportunities for co-investing like I was talking about for for uh, other organizations that are already working within that space and put some of your philanthropy dollars towards that. It is philanthropy in, in a sense. It's just capitalist philanthropy. Let's discover the Cleveland entrepreneurial ecosystem. We are telling the stories of its entrepreneurs and those supporting them. Welcome to the Lay of the Land podcast, where we are exploring what people are building in Cleveland. I am your host, Jeffrey Stern, and today I had the real pleasure of speaking with Dr. Elad Gournot, the Dean of John Carroll University's Boiler College of Business and co-founder and managing partner of an early stage venture capital fund. A lot is passionate about the role of higher education in the world of startups, and he actively promotes making higher education more technology and more entrepreneurially focused throughout the academic community and to his students. Outside of his direct and his breadth of work as a practitioner, both in venture capital and in startups, Alad serves on a variety of boards where he is an enthusiastic booster of Ohio's economic, technology, and innovation ecosystems. We cover a lot of ground in this conversation, spanning what Cleveland can learn from Startup Nation and Alad's time in Israel, the role of academia in fostering an entrepreneurial mindset, the tolerance for risk that we have here in Northeast Ohio, technology transfer out of academic institutions, and a whole lot more. So with that, please enjoy my conversation with Dr. Elad Grunot. You know, I've, I have a sense of, you know, your your professional history and your bio, but I, I think uh, it would be a lot more interesting to, to hear it from you, you know, a little bit about your story, you know, where your interest in entrepreneurship and venture capital, your path to Cleveland, how all these things converge and, um, you know, what what kind of brought you to, to where you are today. Wow. Not not a complicated question <laughs> to answer at all. Um, so so I, I'll, I'll try to make sense of it. My my background, my parents are uh, Israeli. I grew up in the States. I grew up in New York uh, before going back to Israel to finish high school and serve in the Israeli military, uh, pretty much like every other Israeli citizen. That's important for the context of the conversation because the Israeli military is is the bedrock of innovation in, in what's become known as a startup nation. Yeah. Uh, startup nation hasn't always been that type of uh, uh, juggernaut that it is now. That started in the late 90s, early 2000s, uh, with a lot of technology that always existed, but on the government and military side, but then that sought to to, uh, go into the private uh, uh, market, into into business. And at that time, uh, Startup Nation, the ecosystem didn't exist. And so when when a lot of innovation uh, got pent up uh, with with, uh, no venture capital, and no culture of entrepreneurship sound familiar? Uh, we're going to get back to that. It does. I know uh, we are. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> and so when, when all of that sort of uh, tried to find a, uh, an outlet, the default was go to your service providers, your global service pro- uh, providers, your CPAs, your attorneys uh, uh, that work for global companies like KPMG, where I was, and see how they could help you. And so I was on the ground floor of uh, helping all these companies uh, try to try to raise funds, try to make uh, uh, um, uh, BD on, on the international side, 
And I pretty much learned uh, from the ground up uh, what it's like to work with uh, founders, with technology, and have done it since. You know, we're in 2022, so it's, uh, so, so it's uh, you know, 30, beyond 30 years of me working alongside uh, founders and then eventually uh, VCs and then uh, eventually my own VC, um, my own uh, ventures and so on. Uh, we'll, we'll get into that. Cleveland happened um, when in 2006, I was uh, completing my doctorate at the University of Massachusetts with absolutely no intention of going into higher education <laughs> and, and got a call from the dean of the business school at uh, Cleveland State saying, hey, why, why don't you come check us out? We heard you're getting your doctorate. We heard you're not a traditional uh, academic, that you're really into applied business and all this stuff. We'd like for you, we'd like for you to come and join us. I came, I was impressed by the man, by, by the dean and uh, the institution. And, and we, we moved to Cleveland in 2006. And uh, I've been here ever since in a variety of capacities and institutions. We can talk about that, but that's sort of the semi-short answer to the question. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. A lot, a lot of threads to pull on here. You, uh, you loaded it up that way. I know. Yeah. No, that, that's awesome. It, I think it sets the stage really well because we'll, I think we'll pull on all the threads. Perhaps like working our way towards Cleveland, and I know this is something we, we would have got to later, but going to Israel for a sec, actually, because I think we can just draw the parallel off the bat. You know, here we are in Cleveland, both working, you know, respectively with entrepreneurs and and in the space and and trying to build companies and trying to build an ecosystem and and you know create a community here and. And I think we're making progress. Yeah. Um, you know, certainly in my time here, it's it's gotten better. We have a lot <laughs> that we can do to, yeah. to 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 get even better. But you know, I think there's enough people here thinking about this and and trying to to figure out how do we how do we get to a place that we want to be. I'm really curious, you know, from the perspective of of Startup Nation from Tel Aviv, what did you learn from like coming from a a, a place where it wasn't there to where it's now kind of the one of the flagship, you you know, you've you've San Francisco and mm -hmm. and you have Tel Aviv in sure. a lot of ways. Sure, a lot. I learned a lot, and and uh, I I tell you, um, a few years ago we had an effort here, uh, which I was uh, proud to be a part of, to try and bring um, blockchain technology to to Cleveland. It was it was uh, um, branded as uh, Blockland. Uh, Bernie Moreno uh, led the charge and sort of grouped around him. Uh, a lot of the leadership and 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 other people that were involved uh, and and that sought to do something in Cleveland. That was the first time that that I saw some of the uh, parochial fiefdoms in in Cleveland break down. And I think that that's part of the part of the issue here that has gotten better. As you say, I think that's part of what has gotten better. We can talk about that. Uh, and that was the first time uh, that you sort of saw players from nonprofit, business, government, which is the key. Uh, and, and so Startup Nation's secret isn't that secret. And I'll break it down in a second. And so we, we, we did a lot of things. It didn't necessarily succeed, but that's not the point. The point is that was, as far as I'm concerned in my time here, and I'm a transplant to Cleveland, in my time here, uh, it's the first time uh, that I've seen uh, players come together to, to move something forward uh, in unison. And what was interesting, there was one time that uh, we were all literally all of us around a huge table, the convention center, I think, or somewhere around like, um, it was the bar association, you know, that conference. Mm, yeah, yeah. And so everybody was there and everybody needed to say something. They felt like they had to take the <laughs> microphone and say something fine. And after the 10th speaker or so, I remember getting really tired of it. By the time that Mike got to me, I said, hey guys, I appreciate it, everybody being here. And I think we're doing something important but you know, I come from Startup Nation, and I can tell you one thing: we've never done at Startup Nation, and that's have a meeting like this. 
We've never sat around the table and asked ourselves, so who's going to do what? And, you know, and who's in charge of this? Where's the budget coming from? No, everybody's just doing. There was never, and still to this day, has never been a meeting, you know, around some table somewhere in Tel Aviv where everybody's like, okay, you do this, you do that. No, everybody's just busy doing. And I think we're now a lot closer to that than we were before. The parallels between Tel Aviv and Cleveland are very, I think, uh, clear. For the first part, for, for the per, uh, you know, if you just look at uh, the most major uh, similarity, it is that it's not a natural place for a innovation and ecosystem to thrive. The coasts are, we get it, but you know, if you look at Tel Aviv in a country that's surrounded by enemies, uh, so no commerce with close by neighbors, is stuck in the middle of nowhere, the Middle East. We're in the Middle West, and and has no natural resources milk and honey notwithstanding, right? And so you, you, what do you do, right? What, right? what do you do? The difference between us and them is that they have to do in order to live. So that is, I think, the, the uh, by the way, I'm not wishing upon us a some sort of right. you know, a death <laughs> imperative, but when you when you have to innovate to sustain life, you become incredibly innovative, uh, especially when there are no resources. And, and so that is the, the key. Now, the players are what makes it possible. Uh, the military, everybody goes through the military. So I said I went to the military. Everybody does. The military invests huge amounts in innovation for its own purposes. But, and here's the big, uh, um, you know, uh, the big differentiator. Whatever Israeli citizens produce for the military apparatus, they get to own the IP by the time they're done with their service, minus the you know hmm. confidential parts. Imagine, yeah. imagine that. Imagine a state, right? Imagine Ohio investing in young entrepreneurs uh, so they could do whatever they're doing. And if they succeed, they owe it. They owe the state nothing. Uh, sorry, if they fail, they owe the state nothing. If they succeed, they pay back whatever the investment was, and that's it. And then the state thrives because these these uh, founders are staying here, paying taxes, hiring right, people, yeah. all that stuff. We're, we're a long way to go from that. But at one point, is it, it was it purely from, you know, a motivation of survival? Like, is there, is it requisite that, you know, that is the case? Like, could, could we through just sheer will and, you know, desire and innovation Absolutely. foster that kind yeah, of- Yeah, we don't have to be on, on uh, death's door uh, to, <laughs> to realize that innovation is, is the future for us. And I think we've already uh, made that, we've all recognized it. If you look at the healthcare industry here, um, and, and if you look at technology around us with, with manufacturing really transitioning into a, techno a technology business, uh, we, we've, we've understood that. We're not under a threat of death, but we understand that financially, economically, uh, competitively, um, as a state among uh, all the states in the union, we have to compete. Uh, we don't have you know, the uh, sexiness, so to speak, of, of uh, um, you know, the, the West Coast. We don't have the, the capital uh, of the East Coast, yep. but uh, we still have to compete. And so what do we have? We have our work ethic, we have our healthcare industry, we have our manufacturing, we have our history. We have what I think is incredibly important, a mixture of immigration, which is, which is really unique. So unique that most of us don't realize it because we take it for granted. But it's, it's incredibly powerful. Not every state has that. And we have, look to the north, we have an insane amount of water. And so yes. when you put all that together, I mean, other states would kill for that. And we're, you know, we put, we put stuff on the lakefront, you know, that's for another conversation, yep, yep. maybe. Uh, <laughs> but we have all of these resources. Okay, very interesting. So I want to maybe tie in 
academia, right? Sure. And and the the role that that plays. Because I, I think, you know, if you look to maybe some of our peers out, you know, Pittsburgh, you know, even, you know, San Francisco and New York, I think entrepreneurs tend to be drawn to other entrepreneurs, uh, just, you know, geographically speaking. And I, I think if you just like survey probably in in a startup nation as well out in Israel, like the the university is a, is a non-negotiable part of of the ecosystem. Yeah. So just kind of high level your perspective on the role of academia as it relates to entrepreneurship, you know, maybe tying in your personal experience, sure. what what drew you to John Carroll and and the yeah. the nature of, you know, what what is it, what is that what are you responsible for yeah. there? Higher education in in the Israeli ecosystem is an integral part uh just as important as the military is. The institutions of higher education are geared towards producing innovation. In fact, for a small uh, small country, you know, quarter the size of uh, Ohio, it has four of its uh, universities ranked to top, uh, in the top 50 in the world. And so that that shows that there's significant, huge investment in, in higher education. And it also shows that higher education is geared towards producing innovation. Yep. And and so uh, that's critical. We We have to do that. You know, we have some amazing universities here. And so obviously uh, Intel came here because of uh, that university, South of here, I forget their name. Uh, and, <laughs> and uh, uh, you know, there are other phenomenal uh, research institutions around here, but there are also schools like like, like John Carroll that are, that are not uh, what, what's known in our industry as R1 institutions, right? But if you, look, if you look at the marketplace and if you look at Cleveland and Northeast Ohio, and you look at all the folks that we're talking about that are entrepreneurs, innovators, Many, many, many of them are John Carroll grads. Yeah, this is not a coincidence. And so, how how does this happen? How do you have uh, this pipeline of innovation and entrepreneurship from a university that doesn't produce, uh, at least not as a goal, innovation and entrepreneurship? One of the things that that drew me to John Carroll was this gap, and me telling them, look, every university that I know of in in thriving ecosystems, the top ten global ecosystems, in in all of them, universities play a significant role. By the way, the U.S. slipped to number eleven. We have to do something about that, and so you know we have to we have to get into the innovation uh, business. And so, as a business school dean, the way for me to do it is I have an entrepreneurship program. And I have one of the best uh, programs in the nation. Our entrepreneurship program at John Carroll is really well known. But I identified a gap, right? And the gap is it's not producing too many entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. And and in a microcosm of what's happening in in the Midwest and in Northeast Ohio in general, it's because there's no capital. Right, so so you have you have uh, uh, kids, freshmen, uh, sophomores, and, and and others come up with ideas. They come to our uh, center for entrepreneurship. They get they get a little bit of uh, um, uh, mentorship and guidance and 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 you know strategic planning and all the other stuff. But at the end of the day, uh, they don't have capital to to move forward. And as we know, uh, the number one reason startups fail is they run out of cash. Right, they run uh, out of money. It's that simple. <laughs> and so what we're doing now is we are shamelessly copying the Israeli model. And that is yeah. we're, we're, uh, we're putting in a venture capital fund into the business school that will be run by students. So, so it solves two issues. It solves the capital issue for, for uh, entrepreneurs, but it also solves the talent issue in venture capital around here, right? There's not enough, everybody keeps t- saying that. Yeah. There's not enough venture capital and there's not enough venture capitalists here. And so I'm trying to address that both by having my own uh, venture capital fund run out of Bowler, investing in entrepreneurs, student entrepreneurs in the university and having my own ecosystem uh, within the university, but also producing it. That's, I think, our job, producing it into the ecosystem. Hmm. 
One of the, the interesting things for me, just reflecting on my own experience, what brought me to Cleveland, a lot of the folks we've had on the show tend to be a little bit more tenured, you know, experienced, older entrepreneurs. I think there's this real challenge for entrepreneurship coming out of college. You have, you know, the, the large firms, investment banking, consulting, who, you know, will spend millions of dollars recruiting and, and provide a really good, stable, professional path for, for anyone coming out of college mm -hmm. that's in line with the kind of ambitious, mm -hmm. you know, mindset that, that a lot of these, these kids will have. How do you foster the entrepreneurial mindset? Because yeah. it, it's also, it's not a risk, you know, <laughs> averse path. Oh, no. It, 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 it seeks <laughs> risk by, by its very yeah, nature. It, no, you're it, absolutely it's hard. Right. You know, and most of them are going to fail. And sure. it, it, you know, the, the stability, the perhaps like the, the perceived risk of, you know, people, it's, it's a grind. Yeah. I think you hit on something by I'm talking about failure. I'll get that in a second. But I think there's a misconception about uh, when people hear the word entrepreneurship, they immediately uh, go to starting your own business. And entrepreneurship is, is not just that. Entrepreneurship is, is a mindset and you can be entrepreneurial within someone else's business. I mean, we're seeing huge companies outsource their entrepreneurial uh, spirit because they, they, they've come under this formula that you're describing of security, risk-free, avoiding mistakes, avoiding failures, right? And, and oh, yeah. so they've come to the point where they can't innovate. And all of a sudden now they're hiring uh, innovative and entrepreneurship uh, think tanks to, to, to sort of uh, uh, jumpstart their uh, entrepreneurship. So I think there's a lot to be said for entrepreneurship, having uh, working within an organization, a healthcare organization, a manufacturing organization, uh, a bank, got to be careful how creative you want to be. But you know, <laughs> on the other hand, uh, if you think about fintech, right, yeah. a lot of fintech is is eventually directed at large financial institutions that haven't innovated themselves. Yep. Right. And so entrepreneurship by, by definition isn't just starting your own business. It's about being entrepreneurial within a setting. It could be your own business, but it could be someone else's. It could be a, you know, 5,000 person co company and you're, you, you're, you are innovating within that, uh, um, within that system. So, so, so that's important for me to say. If you realize that, then as a business school, and, I, and you know, I, I don't know how common it is for business school deans to, to be from the mold that I come from. What I mean by that is I'm, I'm a practitioner. I'm a business guy right. who's a business school dean. It's still amazing to me that people are uh, uh, surprised by that. Uh, well, it's one of the common critiques, I think, often of academia is they're but not that's practitioners. Right. And so imagine, imagine, I always equate it to, uh, to med school, right? Imagine if a med school dean was a theoretical surgeon, right? Never really <laughs> just read books about it and watched YouTube videos or whatever. And is really the world's biggest expert on surgery, just never really conducted surgery. Uh, that's how ridiculous that is to me in a business school, right? And so I shouldn't be the exception. I hope there's more and more business deans, business faculty who are practicing uh, practitioners who are also passionate about educating, which is what got me into higher ed. And that that goes to entrepreneurship, right? If if you if you come from entrepreneurship, and that's something that I'm very proud of building at Bowler. Uh, and that is I'm, I'm bringing in entrepreneurs in residence, hmm. uh, people who, who have nothing to do with academia into the academic setting because uh, students need to see the end product. You're right to say that, you know, if you're an accounting student, you sort of expect the big four to come. Uh, you'll interview by your junior year, year, you'll have a job. Everything's great. Right. Uh, that's great. 
but it's not for everyone. And we're not really pushing the envelope. We're not innovating. We're not creating, uh, we're not creating opportunities for others. If we accept risk and if we embrace uh, failure, and I think that's a very big if, right? It's really difficult. The American mindset isn't forgiving of mistakes and, and um, we need to get over that. Yeah. Um, and I think that's one going back to your question before about the Israeli mentality. Uh, Israelis uh, have no problem uh, admitting to mistakes. They make them all the time. Uh, <laughs> but then they analyze the crap out of it. Right. What yeah. we do wrong. How can we make sure not to do it again? Let's share it to, with everyone else. So at least we don't make that mistake again. And in fact, uh, just as an aside, in our own, I, I have a, a venture capital fund that I, that I funded and, and manage. When we look at our prospective founders, we like the ones that have um, multiple failures in their resume. That tells a lot. And so if we can get over that hump of, of failing is embarrassing, we can get a lot more students interested in, in entrepreneurship as, as a mindset, not necessarily starting their own business, but sure, no problem if they want to. And that's why I'm offering it as a minor, because I'm hoping that even non-business students uh, will come and, and and get that as a minor. I think I think it's critically important. It opens up the mind, uh, gives you ideas. So many so many uh, people walk around with great ideas, and then they wake up one day, somebody else did it, and you go shit. Can yeah. I say shit on a podcast? Whatever. Uh, it's all good uh, here, right? And so 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 we teach them. You know, entrepreneurship is much like uh, leadership. You can't really teach someone who wasn't born with an, with an aptitude to it to be really good at it, but you can teach the principles and point to people who do it very well so people can uh, uh, draw conclusions for themselves and, and see what they can apply from what they've learned. Yeah, I, in, in many ways, that's, I think, what I've been trying to do with this podcast is, right, what are, what are the things that other people have already figured out that, mm -hmm. that they have mastered that you can, you know, draw get inspiration from, from their own experiences. Yeah. I think the, the learning, you know, in practice and not in theory thing also resonates quite a lot. And I'm curious how you, how you think about how to overcome this, this, you know, pervasive mentality that I, I think a lot of us have that, you know, fear will be, you know, uh, failure rather will be, you know, castigated. And in my own experience, I think it, I, I shared that. And then having gone through a failure, it really was kind of celebrated, which yeah. was like really a surprising yeah, I, it was not what I expected. Walking away from a company that that did not end up in a in a good outcome. Yeah, I, I have a pet peeve about um, business textbooks. Forget the fact that they're books, and who the hell read? You know, <laughs> I mean, by the by the time they're printed, they're already outdated. Forget it. Uh, but the concept behind uh, business textbooks always puzzles me, and that is, uh, there's they always uh, bring up um, and and mention and, and elaborate on best case scenarios. Right? That's great. What can you learn from best case scenarios? Nothing. Give me a book about mistakes, right? Give me a book about colossal failures, right? We thought we were doing well. You know, give me, give me a book about FTX, right? What the hell happened, right? How did this go wrong? How many, how, you know, how, how come uh, so many smart people didn't think, didn't think, uh, did not see it coming? Yeah. If they did, why'd they choose to ignore it? That's how you learn, right? And so we, we, we need to bring, we need to bring failure into the foreground. As a, as, a, as a learning mechanism, as a tool for understanding what not to do again. Again, best case scenarios are, are wonderful. They're really amazing. You know, uh, everything went uh, swimmingly and we got the money and everything worked. And, great. What did I learn from that? Nothing. Right. And so um, I, I think there's a shift that we need to make in our business culture. I think it's happening. Uh, and again, I, I take you back to something I mentioned before. 
there's an incredibly healthy dose of immigrants among among uh, founders oh, yeah, in the yeah. United States. Absolutely. And immigrants have no problem with admitting uh, mistakes because all the shit they've gone through uh, to, to be here, uh, it, you know, making a mistake is nothing. And, and, and so uh, the, you know, I was just talking to somebody about how difficult it is, and I'm an immigrant myself. When you come to a different ecosystem and you're an immigrant, you have no network. Until you experience not having a network, you don't understand how significant that is, right? And so you cannot be this, you can't let hubris lead you uh, and, and be this perfect person. You need to be vulnerable, smart, and uh, um, accept guidance. And I, I think I think that sort of feeds into, I'm not saying seek failure. I'm not saying deliberately try to fail. <laughs> but when you do fail, try to extract the benefits of, of, of that failure because Failure to me, and I'm sorry for the cliche, but it's a cliche for a reason. Failure to me means you tried. And I'll take that any day. Yeah. How in practice at John Carroll, for example, do you, you know, facilitate that and and you know getting students to to try? Yeah. One of the best ways to do that, and, and you know, this generation is interesting. Uh by the way, uh being at being at a academic institution is really cool because you're with young, smart people all the time. The problem is I'm the only one uh, getting old, right? They're all 18 to 22 <laughs> uh, all the time. Uh, so if you can get uh, past that, you need to realize that there's there's an immense sense of insecurity at that age. And this particular generation has is, is very different from mine. Not better, worse, just different. One of the things that I think is is uh, uh, lacking or, or needs improvement, and certainly the pandemic didn't help, is uh, social interactions and social skills. Yeah. And so, you know, we were just talking about how fun it is to, to, to do this face-to-face, -face. but many, um, many fear that. Uh, and then the pandemic sort of gave them reason not to do it. And I don't want to get on a pedestal about working from home because I think it's bullshit. Um, um, but I think there's an issue here. And so we, the first thing we did is uh, we brought them back to campus. We are back. We are an institutional higher education. We do things face to face. That's not to say we don't have all the zooming and the you know all the online stuff and all the other stuff. Great, but the bottom line is human interaction. Creativity flourishes when there's human interaction, and comfort with other people allows you to be more vulnerable in terms of failures. And so there's this cycle that you need to be very deliberate with. That uh, institutions of higher education have the privilege of uh, instilling. Uh, I can literally say, you know, you're going to show up, uh, right? And and so uh, you need to you need to be honest about the reasons for that. And and I think I, I believe we are we are we are our our students' interests are our interests. What we're trying to do is prepare them for their life and their uh, career by the time they leave. Hmm. Yeah, no, I, I think that 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 makes a whole lot of sense. And not not to also borrow a cliche, but business is is just people. Yeah, <laughs> it's yep. like the most valuable thing a company has. All of the interactions is just how you how you communicate with. Yeah, other there, people. there's another thing that you know, another cliche that isn't true, and that is uh, <laughs> business is just business. It's not personal. I, I think that could not be further from the truth. Everything is personal. Yeah, you know, we, uh, a lot of people talk about the no a hole a hole rule, uh, which I, I subscribe to wholeheartedly, and and so you you know you you do better. Uh, with people that you get along with and you get along with people if you actually see them and so there, there's there's a if there's one thing that i would i would um, uh, commend cleveland for being and, and we talked about it before we started taping uh taping i just dated myself <laughs> um, um it, the, the the one amazing thing about cleveland and there are many is that we get together here 
Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, you and I hang out in the same circles, even though demographically we're not. We sort of move towards the same goal. We have this, uh, the, the same attitude towards things. We, we don't have a stuffy attitude here in, in the Midwest. We, we work hard. We, we don't take ourselves too seriously, but we understand our, our value. It's a great place. It's a great launch pad, uh, I believe, to be a very competitive region. So on that that theme of of collaboration, one one of the really cool things I think has you know serving a bunch of you know different entrepreneurs here is that a handful of them have come from Case, handful of them have come from Cleveland State, handful of them have come from John Carroll. Where where's the the opportunity for for collaboration? Really, just focused you know under this academic umbrella. Yeah, it's it, I, I'm going to answer honestly. Yeah, uh, and it's not necessarily going to be uh, the the most poli- politically uh, correct uh, answer. I'll give you a, a different uh, sector first, and then and then we can talk about it. Asking for collaboration among academic institutions is noble, but if you look if you look at the bigger players in this market, right? If you look at at Cleveland Clinic, UH, and Metro. Show me how they're collaborating, and then I'll tell you how I'm collaborating with Cleveland State and and uh, with uh, Case Western. I'm, this is a little uh, tongue in cheek, yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, this is a competitive. We're competitors, uh, and so at the end of the day, we are competing for students at our institutions, and and there's a limit to you know um, uh, what the kids called uh, how much you can be frenemies with 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 uh, you know uh, uh, other players in the marketplace. Having said that. Um, when you look at budgets, when you look at uh, resources, when you look at um, uh, research uh, directions, collaboration is critical. And I think, and, and I think, around regional economic development, that's where we can find right. more of a consensus than other things, right? And, right. And, and and so, do we see each other every once in a while? Sure, we do. You know, um, um, I work with the folks at Case. I have I've spent a long time in Cleveland State. Know know a lot of people there, but I'm a very competitive guy. And so if I can do something without those two, I will. Uh, that's just the honest truth. I believe my colleagues at, uh, you know, the three health systems here have the same, which I consider to be healthy uh, attitude, but I understand the, uh, how shall I say, the, the uh, merits uh, of the uh, fantasy world where everybody collaborates. Sure. Well, I think to, to you know, paint the picture why I think it, it might matter is one of the things I you know, it, from the perspective of a healthy Cleveland entrepreneurship ecosystem, the one of the critical ingredients is retention. And I feel, you know, if you if you pull in the the parallel of what you know Israel, like everyone who's graduating, going through the military, they're going to stay there. Mm-hmm. Uh, there. There's not, I think, so much a, a fear of of a retention problem in Israel. Whereas here, you know, a lot of folks are looking maybe for a reason to stay, but it's not it's not inherently there in the same way. Yeah, I, I could see that point. Uh, although, you know, uh, the pandemic did have some uh, positive outcomes and one of them was people coming back, hmm. right? And 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 uh, uh, seeing the value of, uh, of being here. And we, we see that a lot. I think you're absolutely right about retention. And again, I'm a capitalist. I believe that motivations are primarily driven by uh, economics. And so what's missing here, I alluded to it before, is financial opportunity, right? If, I, if I'm a founder and I need to raise, it's not going to, you know, all due respect to Jumpstart and all the other players who are phenomenal. I'm working with them and I, and I think they're great. The odds are I'm, I'm going to have to go somewhere else. So the retention yep. issue is uh, people love this place. Uh, great quality of life, great weather, eight months out of the year. Yep. Um, good good portion of it. You know, um, <laughs> but... but 
we love it here. Uh, we, you know, all of us love it here. And, and, and so the issue is when we have the next step, and actually um, what we were saying about Israel is partially too, because in Israel as well, once you hit a certain point, a certain level, they do leave. Uh, they have to leave. And they have a lot more ca uh, capital than we do, but they don't have the geography uh, that we do. Yep. And so your point is well taken, but also uh, there are similarities in that sense. Having said all that, I think if we had a thriving uh, venture capital ecosystem here, we would see a lot less people uh, uh, migrate out of here. In fact, we could draw some some here because we have areas that we're strong in on a national level, right? Yep. If we have, I, I work very closely with uh, UH Ventures. Uh, I think you spoke to David recently. And yes, yes. We need more of that. We, we, a, we need more UHVs and B, we need more Davids, right? We need more people who are pushing for developing a healthy, robust venture capital community. Yeah, no, I, th I think that that does make a lot of sense. One one detour if you're in, in Go for, it. for a sec, because this one, this one, I really don't have a good sense of, of how it works. And again, just through kind of surveying a lot of folks trying to build companies, it seems to me that there is a lot of underrated, undervalued opportunity in technology transfer from academic institutions to spin out, to create, yep. to just even like test the market with some of those ideas. It's come through from a lot of the folks who I think have come from academia and have tried to build something out of maybe their their area of focus for research. How do you unlock the... There's, there's two problems. Tech transfer. Yeah, you're right. Uh, um, it doesn't just seem that way. It is that way. And so um, uh, there's two problems. Yeah. One is higher ed is notorious in terms of holding on to IP. Yeah. Uh, and so faculty are discouraged from developing things while under the auspice of, of the institution because they would owe it to the institution and some sort of mob tactic that doesn't make any sense to me. And, and so there's a disincentive to innovate if you're a part of an academic community because you, 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 are, you are expected, uh, contractually obligated to give a piece of it to the institution simply because you're there. That is so old school yeah. uh, and, and so not forward looking that that's, that's part of the reason. The second is, again, sorry to harp on this, but that's just the issue. There's not enough funding going into that. And so, you know, uh, here's, here's the cool thing about Startup Nation. The military and the academic institutions provide resources, training, investments. And at the end of the day, if you develop something for them, you get to keep the IP. And so minus the, you know, top secret stuff, you know, sure, laser yeah. secret, <laughs> you know, whatever. And, and so how, how amazing is that, right? For, for an institution to put all this energy and all this uh, uh, investment into you and then say, it's yours, go ahead. That is something that we haven't learned how to do here. Higher education in general is, is, is a aircraft carrier. It takes a long time to, to move things and turn things. Yep, yep. Uh, actually, it's slower. And, and so expecting it to be that way, you would need an incredibly forward-looking board of trustees and leadership to, to let go. And, and I think you would see such a, a flurry of activity that would actually be paying off on the other side a lot more than what you're seeing now. And that is, and, and look, Case, Case has an amazing tech transfer uh, pipeline. Uh, uh, um, Cleveland State does as well. But we at uh, John Carroll, we don't have a tech transfer office. And so, you know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to build now an internal venture capital fund. And, and the questions that I'm getting, which, which are valid, 
are, well, how are we going to handle the, the IP and where are we getting the money from and who's going to do this and who's going to do that? Uh, as you know, entrepreneurs don't bother with this type of questioning. Uh, and I keep telling everyone I'm much more about speed than perfection. Higher ed isn't. And so there's a long way to go. And until somebody breaks the mold, it's going to, it's going to, it's going to um, lavish. And, and, and so I only, I'm a lowly business school dean. I'm not a president. <laughs> uh, you know, I don't, I don't control entire institutions, but if I did, that would be what I would push for. It's like, guys, you know what, let's just, let's just invest in our people and let them do whatever they want. And, and, and let's not tell them that we want to keep a piece of it ahead of time, uh, just because, you know, we gave them an office. They would be more loyal. They would be more successful. They would take more risks. And if everything goes great, we'll, we'll, we'll get our piece at the, the other end. Um, you know, that's the way, that's the way we need to go. And on the coast, they do do that, right? Mm. Stanford, that's their model, right? Right. And so, uh, Stanford, Stanford, people, you know, people say, oh, well, it's Stanford. No, no, no. It's not because they're Stanford. It's because of how they do things. Right. That's why they, they set the right yeah. incentives. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that. Yeah, it's it's just been an idea kind of floating in my head. It it, yeah. it feels like there's a lot of potential You're there. You're right. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> Interesting. Cool. So I I'd, I'd love to maybe pull it back to just more, you know, your your personal, you know, experience and and path and you know maybe tell us a little bit about iAngels and, you know, the the impetus for that and and some of the the work that you've done there. Yeah. So so iAngels is an amazing uh venture capital um fund out of Tel Aviv. It was uh founded by um uh, two super bright uh, founders um uh, they happened to be um uh women that then that that took on the identity of the fund so most of the fund is is uh run and managed by by uh, women uh there are some uh, some uh, guys like me who are allowed to to be involved <laughs> uh i say that semi jokingly i think they're incredibly bright uh, all of them and it's a huge pleasure to be working with them i know one of the founders uh, on a, on a, um, a personal level for a long time uh the other thing that's similar between between tel aviv and and, uh, and cleveland is the interpersonal connections and the one degree of separation as opposed to six, right? Yep. And so you and I met literally because I reached out to you and we met. That was it. I didn't need anybody introducing us. That wasn't through, you know, I didn't have to go to you through your secretary or whatever. whatever. No. It was pretty straightforward, right? <laughs> yep. And so that is is uh, uh, something that you can't artificially build. And we have that here. And so does Tel Aviv. And so when Shelly, one of the founders of uh, iAngels, uh, uh, reached out to me to, for advice, input, it was based on a personal relationship that our families have had for for a long time. Yeah, uh, and then and then I found uh, a, an amazing fund that uh, works um, uh, in co investing, uh, which I love that model um, because again I'm I'm all for breaking barriers. And I think one of the things when you look at accredited in investors and you put up barriers, uh, what you're getting is a filtered sample. Uh, rather than a qualified sample, and 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 so you're blocking. I'm I'm all for access, uh, yeah. and and so uh, co-investing by its very nature allows access, right? Um, because you can have fractional investments and, and all that type of stuff. And so the combination of knowing the founders uh, that are so brilliant, uh, loving the model of uh, co-investing, and then looking at their portfolios, which you know one of the most amazing things uh, about Israeli technology is its technology that we need. Uh, what I mean by that is there's a reason TikTok didn't come out of Tel Aviv. Uh, there's no um, security <laughs> application for TikTok, right? right. Um, but uh, other stuff that's come out, 
whether it's the pill cam, uh, you know, uh, 30 years ago, which still people are, are, are mentioning as an amazing innovation. Anything has to do with cybersecurity, anything has to do with drone technology, anything, you know, uh, the number one autonomous driving epicenter in, in, in the world is in Tel Aviv. Tel Aviv doesn't make one car, not even a toy car. Right. Uh, and yet all of the car companies have their R&D centers there. Intel has a huge facility there. And so when you see the innovation that comes out, it is incredibly sophisticated, but it's all technology that we need. And so, so I'm not saying there's less risk in investing in that type of technology, but when you look at it, it's all, yeah, that makes sense. We need that. Right. And, and so when you put all that together and uh, having the privilege of advising such an amazing uh, fund, seeing it grow, seeing it expand, it's been a phenomenal um, uh, experience. And it, it inspired my, my partners and I uh, to set up our own fund uh, and invest alongside, uh, alongside them. Not, not an easy feat in, in the, in the uh, Midwest. All of my partners are uh, Northeast Ohio, Cleveland people. Yeah. All of them are uh, quite wealthy. If they're listening to this, they know they know I'm saying the truth. <laughs> and and all of them have never taken risks in their investments because that's not what you do in the Midwest. Yeah. All of a sudden, this Israeli guy comes over and says, hey, let's invest in really high risk technology stuff that's just out of this world. And uh, it took a while for us to put the fund together. But the main uh, thrust was when we went to Tel Aviv and they showed us uh, their portfolio companies. Mm. And it was just one after the other, just phenomenal stuff. And we put the fun together. That's very interesting. Because I, I was going to ask how you change the perception of risk that people have from, you know, being, having the capital to invest, but being risk averse to yeah. having that same capital, but just, you know, how, it's a shift in, in perspective. And, and maybe it just requires seeing what the, the good outcomes can can be. Yeah, and that so it's it's not it's it's because because we have a lot of capital in Cleveland. A hundred percent, we have insane amounts right. of capital, but we have zero tolerance for risk. Yes, and so my pitch was quite interesting. I've never raised money that way. My pitch was, look, you folks are all incredibly rich, and you give away to charity, and you do all these amazing things. Good for you. How about you take a chunk of that? Capital that you weren't going to invest in your, you know, medical office buildings or whatever stuff is yeah, as yeah. solid as it could get, uh, and let's do, uh, let's let's go on an adventure, right? Let's let's go with technology investing. I'm telling you right now, and that was the first time I ever pitched something that way, uh, but I believed it. I said, I'm telling you right now, you're never going to see this money again. You're absolutely going to lose it all. <laughs> it's incredibly high risk. I'm telling. If you're thinking about returns, don't invest. And, and it worked. And, and so now I got lucky because the pandemic has been good to us. Uh, we've had some really nice exits with some really healthy multiples, but that wasn't the plan, right? Uh, yeah. The plan was just to dip our toe in the water, see what VC is like, see what, what cutting edge technology looks like, work with brilliant people, and then maybe we'll, we'll make some money at the end. I know it's not a solid uh, business plan, but that's how it started. Yeah. That was the only way I could figure out to get Midwestern folks to invest in, in uh, high-risk tech um, um, ventures. What, what is your thesis perspective on, on how to replicate that? Do we, you know, do we need more of, of you, know, you to, to, to raise those kind of funds? Do we need, how do we really get at the core of, at scale, solving the problem? Yeah, I, I inadvertently, I think I stepped on what I thought uh, or I still think worked. And, and that is, I drew a parallel between venture capital investing yeah. and philanthropy uh, and basically said, 
you know, it's it, it's disposable income, so to speak, right. that you're putting towards causes that you think are important. Well, guess what? Regional economic development is important. Yeah. And and so uh, just because you might end up making money on the other side of it, great. But 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 the but you need to start investing. You know, you were talking about brain drain, right? You were talking about uh, um, retaining all the bright people here. So so there's a lot to be said for philanthropy. It's incredibly important to support. Uh, marginalized groups and and you know uh, yeah. uh, um, uh, causes that no one else is funding, and I'm it's such a dominant you know of course it is part of Cleveland. So 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 having said that, if if you don't invest in your strong players, right, you you will end up at the same place. And so you need to understand that maybe you take a fraction of what you're doing now and say, you know what, I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, see what uh, Jumpstart is up to. You don't have to be crazy like like me and set up your own fund you don't have to go millions of dollars in see you know seek out opportunities for co-investing like i was talking about for for uh, other organizations that are already working within that space and put some of your philanthropy dollars towards that it is philanthropy in, in a sense it's just capitalist philanthropy i just coined some a new a new term uh i think there's a switch that needs to be made i think local government city county state needs to lead by example yeah and i think uh, you know there like you say there's so much capital here i'm not i'm not saying just because you have it you can throw it away i'm saying invest it invest it in in the people and the ventures might even work out as well right there's there's a chance yeah <laughs> yeah really interesting I, I i feel like we could talk about this stuff for a long time how do you think about you know piecing together all these things you know as a practitioner helping educate what does success look like for you? How do you think about, you know, the impact and in retrospect, you know, what, what kind of impact you would like to have? As a business school dean, success first and foremost is every single one of my graduates either getting a job or going to grad school or starting their own business. That's, yeah. that's success. So 100% would be success. Uh, we're very close to that, by the way, but it's, it's something you keep working at. So that's a measurable KPI um, and, and I, I, I think it's critical. I also see success as moving the needle, right? And so you could tell uh, by listening to what I've been saying today that I'm extremely passionate about building this entrepreneurial innovative ecosystem and, and understand the importance of capital to that, uh, to, to fulfilling that dream, right? And so I'm doing everything I can to produce a awareness uh, to that. It isn't uh, taken for granted and then produce talent and then try and build uh, capital both both in terms of actual money but also in terms of resources yeah and 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 really create a shift i have to say that i'm incredibly optimistic about the change of the guard in some of the most uh important institutions around here right from mayor bibb to dan hampu at the morgan foundation to um you know leadership in in, in our institution and others to um, leadership at, at the health systems to Beiju at uh, GCP. Yeah, yeah. It's just, it, it's a tangible change of the guard. Not saying the old guard was bad, but it's time for for uh, a new wave and, and, and we can feel it. And so we were talking about, you know, uh, how there's one degree of separation here. When you go to events around here, whether it's a GCP event or a John Carroll event or a North Coast Ventures event or whoever it is, it's always a group of 250 people yep. we all see each other all the time it's it's great uh, because we all know each other and it's easier to cut through the barriers of getting stuff done but i'd like to see that expand and i think naturally 
a, an institution of higher education is designed to make that expansion, which is why I'm opening up my campus to the community. Mm. Uh, you know, come have your event at John Carroll. Come, you know, I, I, I'll charge you at cost or not charge you at all. I'll sponsor you uh, because I think it's important to have uh, higher education as a major, major player within a, a successful ecosystem. Yeah, absolutely. I love the idea of, of moving the needle. I, I like your framing actually of like, success is 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 job placement i think one of the kind of interesting things about higher ed recently is like there's been sort of this like credibility crisis like what yeah. what is the For purpose reason, by the way what is the purpose of yeah. higher ed you know why why have costs gone up so much and it's not entirely obvious like what no i what? i i think we earned all that criticism i yeah. really do and 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 so what i'm saying might, uh, might seem uh, sacrilegious to some of my colleagues but i don't, I don't really care the bottom line is that we need to be producing talent into the ecosystem. And so, uh, you know, I just had a debate with, with one of my colleagues because uh, I'm implementing a tech core into the business school. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I think it's irresponsible to let um, uh, people graduate from business school without understanding technology. I'm not looking for them to be coders or developers or anything, but how can an accounting uh, major graduate without understanding blockchain or a finance major uh, graduate without having a, an idea about applications of fintech? and so on and so on. And so I'm implementing it, that into the curriculum of the business school. Now we are a liberal arts institution. I have nothing against liberal arts. My undergraduate degrees in, in English. Uh, I think it's, it's, it's fundamental to the identity of a young person. Yeah. However, I cannot imagine how a young person can go into the marketplace without a fundamental understanding and proficiency of technology. And so I'm, I'm building that as something that eventually I'll require. And so I had a, a, a semi-debate with one of my colleagues where, where I said, you know, it's important for uh, university and college students to, to gain tech proficiency before they graduate. And the response was, well, I don't see why uh, an English student needs to know about AI. And, and, oh. and, and, and a classic, <laughs> classic that's, turn of events, ChatGPT comes out, yeah, right? Yep. And, and, and so uh, the reason, uh, um, since I've heard about uh, ChatGPT, the reason that an English major should know about AI is that AI is eating its lunch. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I won't fully out my brother, who's a senior in college still, but when he was back with me over Thanksgiving, I was like, Corey, you got to check out ChatGPT. Across computer science, his law, and his business courses, it did all of his homework. Of course. And, and so, <laughs> um, and yeah, I mean, there was a Harvard Business Review article that was published by three really well-known professors about ChatGPT, and at the very end, the note said, by the way, we submitted our draft of this paper to ChatGPT and told it to make it more interesting, and it did. And so ChatGPT has a Harvard Business Review piece under its name. Yeah. Uh, and so, but the point is, anything that AI can do, it will. You know, there was this guy I just read about yesterday that published a children's book. You know, ChatGPT wrote it. Some other AI uh, illustrated it. The guy never wrote a, a sentence in his life, and he's he's a published <laughs> author, right? And so that's how quick things are changing. And if you don't have an appreciation for technology, and again, nothing against philosophy degrees or all that stuff, even though you know you got to have a plan on how you're going to live, but but nothing against it as a foundation of, of of the spiritual essence of a person. I really am for it. But if you if you ignore technology. Or, or if you don't teach it like uh, most of the uh, universities uh, uh, don't, you are doing a disservice, an incredible disservice. You, you, you are neglecting your responsibilities. And so uh, back to what you were saying, you know, costs of attendance and all the other stuff uh, have risen. 
Yeah. ROI, not so much. And so I think I think the costs that are rising are are acceptable if ROI increases, right? I can't get into uh, you know every single reason for the cost increases other than supply and demand is one thing and I'm all you know I'm like I said I'm a capitalist. Yeah, yeah. You you want to pay me 100 grand for your degree? Thanks. I'll I'll write you a receipt. And and so uh having said that, I can't sustain it if I don't provide um uh, you know solid ROI. I think our 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 uh sector, our industry is justifiably criticized. Yeah. And so we need to we need to provide a lot more applicable education with the understanding that if you cannot sustain a life and a career with what you learned at school, you should have second thoughts. Mm. Yeah, I, how far from consensus contrarian do you feel your position is? Because in some ways, I my, my sense as an outsider, not not involved really in academia, is I don't know that universities have really grasped the what might be like existential risk for yeah. for some of them who've been oh. kind of complacent you know, relying I think on I'm, their I mean, brand. I, I think I'm um, a pariah. Uh, I'm pretty okay, sure. Yeah. Uh, and I, again, probably, <laughs> you could probably tell I don't care, but uh, the, the, here's the issue. We cannot continue to do what we're doing because competition will eat us alive. Right? And it's yeah. already happening. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, the, the reality is proving me right. And I always give the example of the tech companies, but eventually it'll be everybody. And every company is a tech company. But what I mean is by the traditional, you know, Facebook, Google, Intel, Amazon, they are telling young people, forget about college, come here, we'll train you yeah. uh, and we'll give you a job. They're doing that precisely because of what I was saying. It's because I'm not preparing them to work at Google. Google doesn't want to be in the higher ed industry. It has no choice. And so they're basically looking around the marketplace and go, oh my God, these people don't know anything that I need them to know. Yeah. And so it's our responsibility to, to make sure that we're in tune with the employer market or the employer market is going to skip right over us. And so, you know, you're seeing, you're seeing high school, uh, sorry, you're seeing college, uh, dropouts. Uh, like uh, Zuckerberg and others saying skip college. Of course, there's one Zuckerberg, right? And, and and in Cleveland, there aren't any Zuckerberg. So you go to college here, your life is going to be better. There's no question. The 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 uh, the stats are very clear. Your uh, uh, lifelong uh, income is is about a million dollars more than if you wouldn't. Yep. I mean, it's pretty clear between the coasts that you should go to college. And so, but it's eroding. Uh, it's all self-inflicted. And so you need more folks uh, uh, insisting on tangible results, ROI and uh, lifelong learning, which which is something that, you know, we're, we're in the four year, come in, get your degree and leave model. That is not a good place to be. Mm. Really interesting. Yeah. <laughs> we'll kind of bookend it a little bit here, but maybe just kind of a, a greenfield question, you know, reflecting on your, your time as an entrepreneur, as, you know, helping people into the entrepreneurial ecosystem, investing in, in founders, parting wisdom, you know, about that. Um, and then we'll, we'll bring it to our, our closing question. Yeah. My, my, uh, I don't know about wisdom, but I can give a parting statement. <laughs> um, I think it's important to focus on innovation as, as a driving force. And, and so, you know, there's a lot of people who would say, follow your dream and all the other stuff. Great. Innovation is, is its own motivation. Without it, you, you lose competitive position. And, and so if, you, if there's anything to learn from, from history, and I'm a history buff, a business history, if you can call it. Uh, and like I said, uh, I, I'm looking at uh, grave mistakes that, that, and failures. It's usually uh, around the enterprise ceasing to innovate. And so be a deliberate innovator. And the way to do that 
is to be completely open to criticism, which is insanely difficult because there's an ego situation. All of us who have gotten to some sort of uh, position in, in, in our careers have done so because we have uh, some degree of uh, ego. Uh, and the more success, the ego usually tends to inflate, not deflate. And so being aware of that, having a sense of humor and, and not taking yourself uh, too seriously will allow you to be more innovative. There's nothing worse than saying, I've achieved everything I need to achieve. This is how it's going to be. No, it's not. There's somebody trying to innovate right now. Might as well be you. Yeah. Awesome. Last, the traditional closing question. Yeah. Which is, we'll bring it back to Cleveland. Not for your favorite thing in Cleveland, but for something that other folks may not know about. A hidden gem. Yeah, it's interesting. So, so, you know, I don't know how many hidden gems uh, there are anymore because Cleveland's now become fashionable, right? So when, when we moved here, we came here from Massachusetts in, in 2006. And I remember people asking me, Cleveland, are you insane? <laughs> uh, and, and, and then the other question was, which side? I said, their size? Uh, I didn't know there were uh, sides to Cleveland. And, and so uh, one of the things that we, we ended up on the east side, and one of the things that we discovered that was a hidden gem for us, and we still find ourselves uh, going back to, is uh, Chagrin Falls all year round. First of all, it reminds us a little bit of New England, uh, where we came from. It does. Uh, actually, yeah. um, but it also is, is, is a within uh, an incredibly short driving distance, it's like we're in a different universe. And, and so it's not so much a hidden gem anymore, uh, but it's still a gem. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you very much for, for coming on, for sharing your, your story, your Thanks. thoughts, opinions. I enjoyed it. Thank really you very enjoyed much. it as well. Yeah. Thanks. If people had anything they wanted to follow up with you about, what would be the, the best way? The best way is to connect to me on LinkedIn. Just uh, punch in my, my uh, first and last name or my handle is higher ed OKR. Um, uh, OKR standing for objectives and known results, which is uh, Intel's way of doing strategy. We could have another uh, episode just about that. Yep. Yep. Awesome. Well, thank you again. Thank you. That's all for this week. Thank you for listening. We'd love to hear your thoughts on today's show. So if you have any feedback, please send over an email to jeffrey at layoftheland.fm or find us on Twitter at podlayoftheland or at sternhefe, J-E-F-E. If you or someone you know would make a good guest for our show, please reach out as well and let us know. And if you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or on your preferred podcast player. Your support goes a long way to help us spread the word and continue to bring the Cleveland founders and builders we love having on the show. We'll be back here next week at the same time to map more of the land. The Lay of the Land podcast was developed in collaboration with the Up Company LLC. At the time of this recording, unless otherwise indicated, we do not own equity or other financial interests in the company which appear on this show. All opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of any entity which employs us. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next week.